y'all look beautiful for missing an hour of sleep last night. I know some of y'all are like, I have heard her talk until I can't listen to her anymore. I have talked for days, y'all. It has been days and days. We've done all this Flourish stuff. It's been amazing. And I just wanted to take a few minutes. How many of you were here from Flourish, that went to Flourish this weekend that are here? Wasn't it awesome? It was so amazing. And I wanted to take a few minutes to um, thank our team again, our lead team, all of our volunteers, all those who poured out. Then um, I especially, especially want to thank Gina, girl. Will you stand up so everybody can see your beautiful self? And I told her yesterday, um, I told everybody yesterday, so I'm going to tell all of you. Many people say there's not many women like you. They say that to me. There's not many people like you. You're so brave. You're so courageous. You're so, and I will tell you why, because very few women in my position have a Gina standing beside them. And because of her love and because of her just literally anchoring me, um, it enables me to do my calling at another level. And actually the calling on her life it's no small thing either. It's beautiful. And so thank you for everything this weekend. Her husband, Ashley, is sitting beside her. I want to thank you, Ashley, for all that you do to even release Gina to come and minister like she does. And I know that is a cost to your family. And I'm so grateful because my life is just so much better because of it. Just so much better. And so it's my ministry. I also want to take a minute that I didn't really get to do this weekend. I want to thank my husband who always um, encourages and gives place to my um, calling. And he always values me, and he always honors me, and, um, and the call of God on my life. And a lot of women in ministry do not have that. And so I'm thankful for him, and I'm thankful to our children. I'm thankful to Eli and to Amanda and to Lachlan and Bailey. And I call them the Levites because they are literally a generation of priests and they love God's house and we don't have to tell them to love God's house. They're here, Lachlan was here and Eli was here more hours than I was here this weekend carrying the vision, carrying the ministry. Bailey was here, Amanda was here, and they're always here if you look around. And it's just such a blessing to do life with my family um, in ministry. Amen. So it's just awesome. So thank y'all for giving me a minute there. Um, I do want to ask if Olga, my friend Olga is here today. Are you here again today, Olga? I don't know if she's here or not. She wasn't in first service. So um, I have a friend, Olga, that goes to church here who's from Ukraine. And so we're just going to stand. Um, you don't have to actually stand. We're going um, gonna, to we're gonna pray in agreement. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, well, you know, yes, all that's going over in Ukraine. But, you know, there's a lot of corruption in Ukraine. There's a lot of corruption in Russia. And while I'm at it, let me add, there's a lot of corruption in America. So there's enough corruption to go around for everyone. So we should never let the political spirit stop us from for praying in compassion and mercy for our brothers and sisters who are literally being bombed with missiles from the Russian military and Vladimir Putin. So we're going to pray for them right now. And there are people hidden. There are people hiding under churches. They're in stairwells of buildings. And um, I don't know if you feel it or not, but we are in the middle 
of a page turning in history. And it's like God is turning the page and it's about right here, right there. And it's getting ready to be a new day. And even though we look at it and say, how can this ever be better? I promise you, God never loses a battle. He never loses. The best is yet to come. Glory to glory to glory. So right now, in the mighty name of Jesus, we lift up our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. We lift up our Russian brothers and sisters. We ask God that you would come and do something that is so miraculous and supernatural that the world witnessing would have to say, that can only be God. That could only be God. Let there be such a boomerang turnaround happen in this time that the whole world would have to acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord. Father, I ask that right now you would cover them, hide them under the shadow of your wings. Hide them. Let the enemy not even see them. Let the missiles fall flat and hit nothing and damage nothing. And God, we ask that even today we will begin to hear of a turnaround. We thank you for it today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. So for months I have been studying and learning about oil. That's not like, not, not car oil, but oil. And this weekend I preached at Flourish out of Matthew 25 where Jesus is giving his Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives, and he has been asked, how will we know when the end is near? And he's talking about these 10 bridesmaids or virgins that have lamps that should have oil in them. Five of them are silly, and they don't have any oil in their lamps. But five of them are prudent or wise, and their lamps are full of oil when the bridegroom returns. Now, one of the things that we learned this weekend is that it is our job, say my job. It's my job to get my oil. And one of the things I said that would be really hard for today is that verse where it says that the 10 silly virgins, they ask the 10 wise ones or the five wise ones, give us some of your oil. And they said, no. Complete sentence. Nope. You're not getting any of my oil. That would not go over well today, would it? Like with Christians going, no, you're not getting my stuff. Go get your own stuff. Because it's our responsibility to get our own oil. So what am I talking about? In the Bible, oil is used for anointing. You heard Michelle use that word earlier. Anointing. Kings were anointed. Priests were, kings are still anointed today. Priests were anointed even animals and inanimate objects were at times anointed. So this word is a very religious and churchy word. So if you're new and you're just coming in and church hadn't been your thing up until now, just hang on because I'm going to explain it. Because you know, you don't go up to somebody and say, how are you? And you say, I'm very anointed. Thank you for asking. <laughs> nobody says that. Nobody says that word. That, nobody uses that language. Because you would just go, you're so weird. If you ever talk to her, she's weird. I mean, that's what we would all say. But anointing is a mark. Michelle was talking about this. It's a mark that is left on our lives 
by the presence of God. It's very, very imperative that we have it. So I've heard two different ministers refer to the anointing as the difference maker. How many of you want something in your life? It's free to you. That's a difference maker. So my message today is called stewarding the anointing. Words not normally used in our language today. The word steward means to manage, to take responsibility for, to care for. Like when is the last time you ask somebody, what do you do for a living? And they say, I steward the Taco Bell. I steward the H&M or whatever. They don't say that. They say, I'm a manager, right? I take care of whatever. That's how they say it. They don't say that they steward it. But I felt like this was a way to kind of teach into some of this language that we hear in the kingdom of God. It is helpful. Thank you, Tim. (laughs) So the anointing has to be managed in our lives. It has to be taken responsibility for and cared for. It can't just, it doesn't just like hang out. Just you're not just like one of the lucky ones that, you know, it's just like, there it is. Wow, how's that get there? I don't know. Like, it's just, I don't have any idea. I can tell you, if you ever say to me, you've got anointing on your life, I can actually tell you how it got there. It doesn't just show up and you're like, I just don't know. It's like a stray dog following you home. Like, I have no idea where that came from. I can tell you, if you've got anointing on your life, you know where it came from. You absolutely know where it came from. So what is anointing? Now, I have asked the team if they'll put a picture up of this little lamb. And you can see the shepherd's arm there, and there's a vessel, and there's oil being poured out. That is the best picture of anointing that I can give to you. So think of a shepherd. Think of his sheep. And if it's a good shepherd, he takes care of his sheep, and he has several tools in his arsenal in which to do so. So sheep are not the smartest animals on the planet. I don't know if you've ever studied about them, but wow. I mean, I could go as far as to say they're quite dumb creatures. And so I, I found out some things about them. Just see if this sounds familiar. They huddle together because of the cold, and they'll get so cold that they're shivering, and they'll get closer and closer and closer together until they squish the ones in the middle and kill them. Like, what? Like, if the shepherd doesn't come with his crook, his shepherd's hook, with the little hook on the end of it, and pull them apart, they'll just keep huddling together, huddling together, huddling together, until the ones in the middle are squished, and they end up dying. How nuts is that? I mean, you're just like, what is wrong with them? Like, it's not a lot. They don't have a big brain. It's just not much there. So then they get cast down. And that means that there's a soft piece of earth, and it feels so good probably to their hooves and their legs, and they lay down. You know how it talks about they they lie down in green pastures. But sometimes they get laid down in a piece of earth that is so soft, when they go to stand back up, they're let, they can't get their feet underneath them, and the shepherd has to come and help them get back up on their legs. That's when they're cast down. That's what that term actually means. They will like wander off of cliffs, just like, just wander. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that sound like last two years? Like, where are we going? I don't know. We're just following the whatever, right? 
That's what we've been doing. We're like, what is happening to the world? Going to the cliff. We don't know. It's just where everybody gets going. It's just what we're supposed to be doing. I mean, that's what we've been doing. They can't clean themselves. They can't shear themselves. Their wool will grow and get so heavy that it crushes their lungs because of the weight. I mean, at least you and I could go up into the bathroom and get the scissors and go, I'm going to take care of this and get it handled. But they can't do that. They even have to be led to green pastures. Now, we know that from Psalm 23. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us by quiet, still waters, right? They can't even, how many animals do you know that can't even find the water? Like, that's not, that's not like normal. Most animals have an instinct of how to go get green grass, right? Especially if they're herbivores. You know, they're like, where's the grass? They're going to go find it. They can't. They just stand there. Like, they just can't sort it out, y'all. They can't figure it out. And they have to be taken to fresh water. So, does all that sound familiar to you? (laughs) It does to me. I'm like, oh, that's me. I get it. Like, I understand. I'm not the smartest person in the room. I understand it. But see, one of the things that they need protection for, or that the shepherds do the most, is they provide protection from the predators, for the sheep. That's what a good, good shepherd will do. And we all know the story or the sayings that when sheep get outside of the flock, nod like this. Yep, southeastern North Carolina, this is what we mean when we're in agreement. When they get outside the flock, they're just over here by themselves in their underwear at home watching church, right? (laughs) Here they are over here. This is glorious. But what happens to them? The wolves come. Now, do the wolves come into the middle of the flock and get them? No, because that's too much work. Man, he's not going to do that. He's sly like a fox or a wolf. So he comes to the one that's on the edge. And easy prey they are, unless there's a good shepherd there. Do you know that pests, pestilence, also try to kill sheep? Particularly flies. So flies will come to the sheep, and that's why the anointing is taking place here like that. That's not because this little sheep is special or that it's going to be, you know, served up for on the altar. That is not what's happening here. What happens is the flies come and they lay their eggs in their eyes, in their ears, and in their nose. And if they're not cleaned out or anointed, there will be a hatching that happens. And many times you can see sheep that are near a rock or a fence post and they'll just be banging their head up against it because what is happening, and they'll, they'll stand there and bang their head until they kill themselves because the flies have hatched inside their head and it's driving them crazy. So they're beating their head literally until they die. So anointing, what does the word mean? Its literal meaning in Hebrew is to smear or to rub on. And that's what we saw with the shepherd. He takes that nard or oil and he rubs it around the sheep's eyes, around the inside of their nose and in their ears to keep the pestilence away. means to rub on. It is a protection against not only their enemy, but the anointing is the protection for you and I against our enemy. And we have an enemy, believe it or not. Many people would not want to tell you that. So God uses the anointing to protect us, to protect us. 
to lead us to green pastures, to take us to fresh, clean water, to restore our souls again. Amen? Yes. So today I want to talk about three ways that you and I can steward this anointing, this smear on our own lives. Now, how many of you have heard singing and then you've heard anointed singing? Right? Like if I were to just start singing, you all would be like, wow, girl, that is not your gifting. That's not your gifting. You have other gifts. It's amazing. But that's not it. That's not what it is. How many of you have heard preaching and then you've heard anointed preaching? Yeah, right? I mean, you know, what are we doing if we're not even going to ask for the anointing to come and be with us in our services? I mean, you might as well just stay home in your underwear and watch the whatever. You know, don't even watch church. Just watch whatever. There's a difference, and we talked about it this weekend, between a TED Talk and an anointed word from God. There is a difference. You will feel differently from the inside out from when you sit and watch a TED Talk, which will inspire you, or you sit under the preached, anointed word of God, which will change you from now all through eternity. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. So... The smear of God. When we see it, we recognize that it's there. You can sense that it's there. So here's the three ways. The first way that you and I can steward the anointing on our life is to have a love and an honor for God's house. To have a heart for his house. Now I'm going to tell you something that our pastor used to tell us. He used to say this. All of y'all are here, so I'm thinking this isn't even going to apply to you. But if you cannot cultivate a heart for the house that you don't want to serve, you don't want to participate, you just kind of have a disdain for it, let me tell you, find a house where you can. Find a house where you can. Not for that house's purpose, for your purpose. For your purpose, for the calling of God on your life and your family's life. If you can't come under, right, and be part of the house, find the place where you can. Now, in theology, we have something called the law of first mention. So where is oil first mentioned in the Bible? We want to go back to that place and find out what is the significance of this. What is God saying to you and I about oil today, about anointing today? So I want us to go to Genesis 35, and we're going to read the first place that oil is mentioned. I'm going to read verses 1 through 15. Then God said to Jacob, arise and go up to Bethel and live there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Remember that whole story. Esau's like, you know, you took my birthright, da-da-da-da-da, I'm going to kill you, da-da-da-da-da, all the things. And he ran away, and Jacob ran away. So Jacob said to his household and all those who were with him, put away the foreign gods which are among you, and purify yourselves and change your garments. Put away, put away the worldly stuff. He's telling them something here. Let a, and we see there, Jacob has a respect, a holy respect for God. So Jacob said to him, put those foreign gods away, purify yourselves, change your garments, let us arise and go up to Bethel. I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. 
So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods, which they had, the rings which were in their ears. Jacob hid them under the oak, which was near Shechem. As they journeyed, I'm going to stop right there. If you and I are going to have even a thimble full of anointing, you're going to have to let go of the worldly stuff. You cannot hold on to the world and walk in the anointing. It is absolutely impossible. So he's telling them, put it all away. Let's collect it all. Let's take it all up, and we're going to get rid of it. It's going out. It's going out of the camp. We're not doing this. So as they journeyed, there was a great terror upon the city. So there was a holy fear of the God of Jacob as they are journeying through these other territories. And they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. They're like, we're good. We'll just leave them be. Let them just move on in peace. So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there, and they called the place El Bethel, because there God revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried there below Bethel under the oak, and it was named Alon Bacchus. Then God appeared to Jacob. Here's the good stuff. He appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Haram, and he blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob, but Israel will be your name. And thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you, and kings shall come forth from you. And the land which I gave to you, to Abraham and Isaac, I am giving to you. There we see the covenantal promise. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. And he poured out a libation on it. He also poured oil on it. There it is. So Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Here we see verse 14, the very first mention of oil. We see the anointing in this passage tied directly to God's house. Bethel, the word means bet, means house. El in the Hebrew, E-L means God. Therefore, the oil, the first mention of it is tied directly to God's house. That means you and I have to be directly tied to God's house for the oil to flow in our lives. Amen? That's just the truth. You want anointing on your life? Then you better get a love for God's house in your life. There's a real move away from attending local churches uh, and just partaking online. And I know many people have to stay home for health reasons or whatever. That everybody else needs it. Listen, if you're going, I'm talking to everybody out there. If y'all are going to Walmart and Target, y'all need to come back to church. I mean, what in the world? I don't even understand what's happening. But I want to caution you here because there is a direct line of the anointing on your life and your participation in the Bethel, in the house of God. You know, many have fallen away from God's house due to offense. Two years ago, nearly to the day, I stood here and I preached a message called the spirit of offense. And it is the bait of Satan. Everybody is offended at the least little thing for any little thing. And it is Satan's job 
to come and cause you to be offended so that you untether yourself from your community, from your church, and you become like that little sheep that's out there going, well, I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of here and we're kind of there and we're kind of, you're just, you're just out there doing your own thing by yourself, basically, by yourself. I have watched this demonic spirit take Christian after Christian after Christian by the hand and say, come on, I'm going to lead you right out of community, church, and calling. And not just you, but your family along with you. The spirit of offense. Guard against it with your very life. Because I will tell you this, it will weaken the foundation of your home. It will weaken you. Have you found yourself with a disdain of church attendance? If you have found that, ask yourself why and then pray. And ask God to cultivate in you a love for his house and his people. Jesus is coming back for one thing. The church. That's it. If you don't love what he's coming back for, what are we doing? Y'all do because you're sitting here. Way to go. Number two, integrity. Integrity. How do you steward the anointing on your life? You walk in integrity. A few months back, I was talking to one of our kids about something that was going on in her life, about a, a something, words that were being said, attack that was coming that was unwarranted. And I told her this, stand your ground because your integrity surrounds you as a shield. Integrity will surround you and I as a shield. It will protect us in our lives. And we need that. We have to have integrity in order to have the oil on our lives. We must have it. The word integrity means wholeness. Wholeness. Now, we say this a lot at sisterhood. But guess what? Just like it's your job to get your oil, it is also your job to get whole. Jesus isn't coming back again to die again and pay for all of our freedom like he's already done. It was one time for all time and it was perfect. And almost like when we're on an aircraft and they tell you, if we experience, I don't know what they say, if we experience turbulence and the masks fall down, you know, put your own mask on first before. And I'm like, oh, I don't even want to think about that. I've never had that happen before. But put your own mask on so you can help somebody else. You have got to get yourself whole. You've got to. If you're not whole and you're just pretending and playing church, just pretending like you got this little Christian life, but you're not whole, you don't have full integrity in your life. Therefore, there won't be much anointing there, if any. One of the things that keeps wholeness from being there in our lives is sin. Say sin. God literally doesn't care about your popularity. He cares about your holiness. He doesn't care how popular we are and what kind of influence we are. He cares if we are holy. Sin will keep you from being whole. It will keep me from being whole. That's just a fact. Luke eleven fifteen says, But some of them said, He, being Jesus, Cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. Most translations say the Lord of the flies. 
That's not just a movie or a book or whatever it was. I don't even know. Don't even go look at it. I don't even know. Remember the picture of our shepherd. Remember him, the good shepherd. He's making sure that the sheep stay protected, that, that they're whole, that they're integral. He's making sure from his good shepherding that all of those things are happening to protect the sheep. Ecclesiastes 9.8 says, let your clothes be white all the time. Say all the time. All the time. And let not oil be lacking on your head. White garments speak to purity in our lives. And I said yesterday in my breakout session, purity is power. You want to be all powerful? Like, you go, girl, you, you get it, girl. You want, you want some power? Get pure. You want power? Clean up your mess. Get away from sin and get it together. Remember, the page of history is being turned. It's almost right there. Where are you going to be when history changes? Purity is power. Nothing no devil in hell, no person on earth, nothing can stop God's anointing on your life but you and me. Nothing else can stop God's anointing. Nothing is more powerful than that. And I'm going to tell you something. I have decided in my life that if it's going to hinder God's anointing on my life, I don't want it. I don't care what it is. I don't want it. If it's going to knock the shine off the anointing, you can keep it. I don't want it, and you shouldn't either. So we have a choice in our lives. Whether or not we are going to be full of integrity, whether or not we are going to steward the anointing on our own lives. Okay, number three, here we go. Y'all having fun? Okay, here we are. Take a deep breath. Number three is fruitfulness. Talked about this all weekend, being fruitful in our lives, produces anointing. It's one of the things that shows that there's anointing. So we talked about oil this weekend at Flourish, particularly olive oil. I took a class online from a university in Spain on how to make extra virgin olive oil. And it was amazing because I learned all kinds of stuff about that. But one of the things I learned is that it takes no time at all to produce flowers. Have you ever noticed that? You can bring a little sprout home and you will have flowers within weeks. Have you ever brought a fruit tree home and tried to get some fruit to grow on it? Like, it, ta- it feels like it's like an eternity. You're like, what is going I should just go get a fake one. I mean, you know, because it's just crazy. I mean, that's what a lot of people do. And it takes seven to eight years for an olive tree to reach full maturity and full harvest. Now, that's no coincidence in the kingdom. We know in the Hebrew language, numbers have meanings. The number seven means perfect and complete. The number eight means new beginning. So when that tree is seven and eight years old, it's become perfect and complete and ready for a new start. How many of you ready for a new start? Yes, I am ready for a new start. Here we go. We learn that these trees, they, you don't go take a piece of a, an olive off of an olive tree like that and put it in a little bucket. This thing comes and grabs the tree. They used to do it by hand. Shakes the daylights out of it. I think Eli said the mess out of it. Shakes the mess out of it. And all the olives fall into this net. Then they're washed nearly immediately after the leaves and twigs are separated. And then they're crushed. Does that sound familiar? Shaking. Washing. 
separated, crushing oil. Life can be hard here on earth. If you even have a television or a screen right now, you can see what I'm talking about. It can feel sometimes like we are being shaken, and I believe we are. I think prophetically we are in some days of shaking and change right now. We also go through washing because of that sin. We, we get washed by the water of the word, and then we become crushed. But we don't have to be crushed because Jesus took our crushing for us. He produced the oil we need to be oily. He did all the hard work so we can do the easy work. No oil, no anointing. And that's just the truth of it. Maybe you remember a time as I'm talking that you had fresh oil on your own life. You can think back to a time when it seemed like all engines were firing and you were in it. You were in it spiritually. You had it going on. But it may seem like right now that it's stale. Proverbs 92.10 says, But thou hast exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Ox in the Bible always speak to strength. You want some strength? I have been anointed with fresh oil. Fresh oil. I want that fresh oil. I want that strength. So is your anointing old? Is it stale? Happened in a past season maybe for you. Are there flies in the ointment? Passage in Ecclesiastes 10.1 says, Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. And they cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly. That word is tied directly folly to witchcraft in the Bible. To one respected for wisdom and honor. What this is saying is folly and stinking to the high heavens is not befitting for us as Christians. It's unbecoming for us. Years ago, one of our grandmothers, I won't say which one, one of, one of them gave me some perfume at Christmas. And I opened up this little box of perfume. And it was a you know, really nice perfume, tiny little bottle. So it was like the real stuff, not like, you know, it was like true perfume. And there was only, you know, about that much left in the bottom of the little bottle. And it was this dark yellow. It was like mustard color. And, y'all, and I opened that lid on that bottle. I was like, wow. I mean, it stank to the high heavens. Like, I was like, I cannot put this on. Even for her, I cannot do it. So she had re-gifted a, who knows, she probably hadn't even opened that box in 20 years. I mean, it had to be at least 20 years old. Old perfume has a smell to it, especially if it's got dead flies in it, I can guarantee you. But just the opposite is true where the anointing is present. There's an aroma about that. The atmosphere that you are in will always change for the better when the anointing is there. It always levels up. It always gets better. It keeps, just like that nard or that anointing oil on the sheep, it keeps the bad stuff out. The bad stuff out. Imagine having oil poured on you from the top of your head, like, I'm not kidding, like, imagine like a half gallon poured on you. Drenching your hair, 
running down on your eyebrows, your eyelashes, just, just running all the way down. You can't even keep it from going underneath your feet. It's going to get underneath your feet because it's just going everywhere, right? So imagine that. Everywhere you go that day, do you think people would notice that something is up? Yes, people would be very concerned about you. They would be like, something's not right with her. Like something, she needs to handle that. Like there, there's just gonna, there needs to be something taken care of there. Because you know what happens is oil leaves a mark. So what if you had all that anointing oil on you or just oil and you sat down on the couch? Do you think you would see where you sat? Yes, because it leaves a mark. The Holy Spirit's anointing on my, my life and your life, it leaves a mark, and that's a really good thing. So to close, I want to read one of my favorite passages in the Bible. There was a time I had put this to memory, and I'm going to go back to that in coming days and do that again just for my own self because I really love what it has to say. Because some of you could say, what is the big deal about anointing? Well, anointing is not just, as I've said, a fancy Bible word. It actually has a purpose in our lives. Listen to this. This is the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, here's the purpose, to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, which is now, the now, Kairos moment, now, that is today, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified, kabod, that he may get the weight due to him. Glory. Mm. That's big right there. That, then they will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will raise up former devastations. That's coming. It's coming. And they will repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And strangers will stand and pasture your flocks. And foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. But you, you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be spoken of as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. And instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in the land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and the burnt offering, and I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and then their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the people. And all who see them will recognize them. Why? Because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed.
I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and wrapped me in a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, flowers, as a garden causes things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all nations. The anointing has a purpose. That's it. That's not for that time. That's for this time. You and I are called to walk in the anointing and release it everywhere we go. Everywhere we go. That's the point of it. We can't do any of that stuff right there. None of that stuff. Re, re, you know, repairing breaches and building up former devastations and, you know, getting the captive set free. You can't do any of that without the anointing. None of it. We can't love his house. We cannot walk in integrity and we absolutely will not ever be fruitful without it. See, we have been given the oil so that we can get the go-abouts. That's what Jesus did, right? He had the go-abouts. He went about doing good and healing all those who were sick and oppressed of the devil. How many of you leave your house on Monday morning and think that, I'm going to go about today. I'm going to go about doing good. I'm going to go about healing all those who are sick. You oppressed of the devil? I got you. Bring it. We're going to put it under the blood of Jesus and get you free, finally. Right? That's what it's for. And it's not just for us. It's for the entire world in every generation that is yet to come. So many of you, or some of you, may be saying, Harriet, this is all really, really new to me. You are almost like I feel like I'm sitting listening to Greek. I so don't understand what you're saying. And that's okay. God will bless just your sitting here and your attendance and your being here under the preached word. You may say, I have never responded to Jesus' call on my life. I have never responded to him beckoning me to come. I've known that he has been calling me at certain times, but I have never responded. I see other people carrying their lamps filled with oil, but I don't have any lamp, any oil in my lamp. Today, all of that can change. In one moment. All of that can change. You see, you and I are so loved by a good God. We could never exaggerate his goodness if I stood here till dinner time tonight and tried to. He's that good. He doesn't make mistakes. And if he's calling you, then your day is today. Today is the day of the salvation of the Lord. You know, man has sinned, and that has separated us from God. And so Jesus Christ was sent here to earth, perfect in every way, fully God, fully man, laid his life down, like I said, one time for all time, perfect for all of us. And he's coming back again. The king is coming and all we have to do today is accept him, receive him, accept the forgiveness of our sins, accept him 
as Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of the whole earth. That's our part. So I'd like us to bow our heads today. And if that last part, if that's something you want to address in your life, Harriet, I want you to pray for me. I've never begun a relationship with Jesus. I want you to just lift your hand up where I can see it and keep it, keep it up there for a minute. Thank you, Lord. The King is coming. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this great company of people that you have brought together today, your church, your ecclesia, your corporate body, God. Thank you that when we call on your name, you come and you meet with us and you make everything better. You just make everything better, Jesus. So we thank you for being with us today. We bless your name today. And we just want you to seal this time in heavenly places. We thank you, Jesus, for all you are and all you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Bless you guys.